Well, good evening, everyone. In case you do not know it, this is my lovely. Her name is Teresa. Hello, She's hello. amazing. Uh, last weekend, I was, uh, those of you who follow me on socials, you know that I went to uh, El Salvador uh, last weekend to surf with my uh, 38 and 35 year old sons. So I flew Friday and surfed Saturday and Sunday in 85 degree water. <coughs> I surfed uh, one of the most famous breaks in the world. It's called Punta Roca. And I, um, anyway, we surfed Saturday and Sunday, and I flew back Monday. But on the way down, I thought, oh, I should, you know, look at this weekend's message. And, and I saw what it was on, and I thought, oh, my gosh, I need to ask Teresa if she'll speak with me. And so she did. Yeah. And she agreed to it. Isn't that great? <laughs> Give it and up so, for her. So I thought I'd do a survey, you know, like, oh, what yeah. do people really want to hear since I had a whole week to prepare? And this, where do you go when you want to do a survey? Facebook, yes. <laughs> so I put a little Facebook post up there. Hey, I'm speaking with Pastor Mike this weekend, this next weekend. What is a burning question you have? I got about 80 responses. <laughs> some on Facebook, some on iMessages. And I want you to know we are not going to cover all 80 questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we could do we, a three-hour <laughs> seminar right now. So. We could do a three-week seminar. Oh, but, yeah. But we did take some categories that we'll be, um, you know, sharing with you. Yeah, now how many, of you were here, how many of you were here last weekend? You were here last weekend? Okay, so you saw the great Amy speak to you oh. about submission and, and, uh, and breaking that down for us in the context of our study through the book of Ephesians. If you're new with us, we've been in the, uh, Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus for all year long, kind of breaking it down into bite-sized pieces, this series called One Another. But she talked about this mutual submission is foundational for every healthy relationship. Uh, every healthy relationship in the world is built upon the premise of mutual submission and how, how that works in a, in a healthy relationship. And we have the two grandsons who just went through the what? what? Well, the crucible. The crucible they this week. They finished it Friday. <laughs> they are Marines. Yeah, if you don't know what the crucible is, that's a 54-hour long uh, experience, let me just put it that way, <laughs> that you go through as a Marine. Until that moment, until you complete it, you are a recruit. And then after that is over, you are now a Marine. So they're now Marines. And they're learning all about this idea. They're learning all about this concept. So this was last weekend. And this weekend is really about this, that mutual sacrifice in marriage leads to a beautiful unity where both individuals thrive. And that's where we're at in the scriptures. You guys can go there with us in your Bibles. We'll be in Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to pick it up where Amy was last week. I want, because I want you to see verse 21 in the context of the whole as we kind of and go along. And you know, before we get going, I want to encourage you. If you are single, this is great for you to listen well. <laughs> for several reasons. First, you may get married again if you've been married before. Or you may get married for the first time. Or you may date... Or you may have children already, and boy, you can give them some great guidance. Or you might have a million friends that are married, and they'd like to tell you their marriage problems. And it will help you to have wisdom. You know, like we all need to help understand each other. So I encourage you, put some good listening ears on there, too. Yeah. yeah and again, it's very important in a church community that you really learned, our goal is to teach you a biblical worldview, to teach you biblical values, so that when you're advising each other, you're coming from the basic premise, the basic beginning place of wisdom is in the scriptures. Everything else is opinion, okay? Everything else is commentary. It may be wise, it may be awesome, or it may be horrible. 
<laughs> I've heard the worst advice given by Christ followers to other Christ followers in a crisis. Uh, this is, it can be just a train smash, and it almost always comes back to uh, not beginning in a place of Scripture, not beginning in a place of sound, uh, you know, Scripture where, where you're functioning from that platform and, and moving then into wisdom and, and application. So you're going to read, right? I'm going to read part of it uh-huh. until verse 25 or something, and then you're going to pick it up. Okay, so is it up there? Oh, no, you have to read it yourselves. Okay, so the first word, here's what Paul says. Submit. This is like to put yourself under that care and authority of another. So submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit, so put yourselves under the care and authority to your own husbands. Not everybody's husbands, just clarifying there. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying yeah, that. Yeah, it's, well, we know why, you know. Anyway, as you do the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their awesome, amazing husbands in everything. And were you going to do the, um, uh, the, f- the whole being filled with the Spirit part? Or well, I was, and I kind of skipped over it, but do you want me to say Yeah, do it, do it. Well, because when, I, when Mike and I were talking before, I said, you know what I love about this? I love that just before this, Paul talked about being filled with the Spirit. And then he goes into talking about marriages, and that we can't do this without the power of Christ in us. Marriage is super hard. I'm just going to throw it out there. Like, he's great. I'm like, so-so. But it is super hard to get along and be married. And we need the power of the Spirit. And so that's something great that we have. And so I love that Paul talks about living in the Spirit. Then he goes in to talk about marriage. Yeah, and and remember, this was uh, two weeks ago, I think it was, maybe three, uh, where we we were in the passage where it talks, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And then he gives four participles that what does it mean in Ephesians to be filled with the Spirit, okay? Remember, the, being filled with the Spirit is a giant category, okay? In Ephesians, it's four things, okay? It's uh, speaking, singing, giving, you know, or worship, uh, you know, uh, speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody, okay? So it's speaking, singing, then giving thanks, giving thanks. How can you tell when you're filled with the Spirit when you're not in grump mode, Okay, it's real simple, real simple in here. And then the fourth one is submitting. In English, it's difficult to translate this. Uh, if I were to uh, if I were to translate it a little bit differently than your NIV or whatever you have, it's really submitting constantly. Okay, it's a it's an ongoing activity. So it's it's not it's not like a one time thing. It's a lifestyle thing. All right. And and now we're remember now Paul is actually in this section talking about us as the church. He's using marriage as a metaphor, as an example. Okay, but and it's very very enculturated here. What he's about to say to us was radical in a first century context. Uh, it can still be pretty radical in our context, especially if you're me um, and challenged. But but uh, like what he says right now about. Women in general, because in a first century world, women, you, ladies, raise your hand. Okay. In a, in a first century world, you were not a thou, you were an it. You were not really a person. You had no legal rights. You were like, a, like anything else a man in a first century context would own and control. 
So the language here is extremely powerful. So look at how he puts it. Look at how Paul puts it. Under the inspiration of the Spirit, here we go. Husbands, love your wives. All men say, ooh. <laughs> just, just seeing if you're with me. Love your wives. Now, remember, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, her. Here's where it gets really, really radical in a first century context, okay? Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, the church, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word. It's probable that what Paul's talking about here is baptism and the symbolism of baptism here, kind of like a Roman 6 worldview. Uh, anyway, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Then he says, so in this same way, okay, in this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, remember? For we are all members of his body, okay? So he's, he's straight up talking about the church, using relationships as a, an example, uh, and he, teaching kind of two things at once. And then he says, for, and then he quotes Genesis as well as Jesus, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And this is where the famous, uh, you know, example of a sexual union, but it's far more than that. It's solical. It's, it's this oneness that happens in the covenant protection of marriage, which is why sexual intimacy is only to be experienced in the context of the covenant relationship between a man and a woman in the context of God which all of those components are very, very important. If you break any of those components, you become, well, a complete victim. <laughs> you make a mess of everything. Um, anyway, the two become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, and this is your memory verse, by the way. You guys have a memory verse on your chair. It's a little white uh, business card size. This is your memory verse. So you can keep this, stick it in your pocket, put it on your mirror, wherever you want to put it. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. My wife must respect. So husbands, we're going to start with us first, okay? We're going to kind of start with the end and then come back to the beginning. Husbands are called to demonstrate sacrificial love for their wives. Once more, in a, well, in a first century world, this would just be... They would, they would go, what? That, this is such a foreign idea in the first century world. And quite frankly, it's a foreign idea in much of the world today. Uh, we're more familiar with it in the West. But, but it's, it's, it's a radical idea. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and what? Gave himself up for her. Now, in Greek, which is the language underneath your English text, there are essentially four words for love in the Greek language. There, there's a few others, but we'll just focus on these. Uh, the one that you would be the most familiar with would be eros. What word do we get from that, man? Erotic. Very good. <laughs> erotic. I don't really even need to explain it. It's straight-up sexual erotic love, okay? And it's a wonderful thing in the context of marriage. 
so that's one of the words. The, another one would be uh, storge. Storge would be the word for if you were my sister or my brother or my father or a family member, that's the word for love in a family system. Then the very famous word, you might not be readily aware of it, we've named a city after it, after it which is phileo. How many of you are familiar with that word? Philadelphia, right? Philadelphia. And that's like uh, friends, like Pastor Robert and I or Pastor Danny and I, like friend uh, love. Uh, and then this word that Paul uses here is a really, really important word because it's really defined in this verse. It's the word agape. A-G-A-P-E is how you'd spell it uh, in English. Um, husbands, agape your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And that's just such a tremendous idea and really the key. People ask us all the time, how is it that you've been married for 42 years? It comes down to this. It's Ephesians 1.11. It's in Christ that you find out who you are and what you're living for. And this is a huge, huge charge and challenge. It's enormous. So we have a couple of questions from... Yeah, this is one of our Facebook questions. How do we stay committed when our marriage is on fire? If you're married, you've probably had an on-fire experience in your marriage. Yeah, we mean that not positively. Oh, yeah. That isn't like, <laughs> we're on fire! How many, of you are, fire. how many of you are married right now? You're married, raise your hands. How many of you have had your marriage on fire in a negative way before? Yeah, everybody, unless you're lying. Uh, <laughs> You know, usually it's about three weeks in because uh, the honeymoon ends. And, and so we had a lot of this and when our yeah. spouse is sick. What? Well, no, we were just kind of trying to think of what are some times, because some of the things that came up through the Facebook was, you know, kids are, re are in rebellion and you start attacking each other. Yes, yes, yes. Instead of attacking the problem, which happens, mm -hmm. and that's a marriage that's on fire when our spouse is sick. We talked about that. Mm -hmm. And so Mike had, fact, a, yeah. Mike had a little something he was going to share. Yeah, I've like, had to grow. How many of you are not natural caretakers for the sick? You, you're just, you know, the gift of mercy is far from you. Uh, I, I am this way. And I grew up this way. My parents raised me this way. I'm not a natural carer for the sick. And in our, I, I actually, in some ways, was better at caring for other people who are sick than my own wife. So um, one time, uh, like for, this is just one of many examples I could give you, believe me. So one time she, uh, it was a hysterectomy, was it? It was a hysterectomy. And had surgery, if you don't know what that is, it's pretty major surgery, especially back when we had it. And we, when she had it. Yeah. We are one body. When we had the babies. <laughs> yeah, anyway. And, and so she was very, you know, like, and I, I actually, her mother had come to stay and help because she knew how bad I was at helping her when she was down and out. And, and I even sent her mother home saying, oh, mommy, I got this, no problem. And then the next day was Monday, which was my day off. I got home Sunday night. Sunday night from the hospital. Get to my mommy home Sunday. Uh-huh. And... And, and then Monday morning, I, I think I get a call Sunday night from somebody, and I, I leave the house at 6.30 on Monday morning to go help my friend. Dumber than dirt. Uh -huh. I knew this verse in my mind, but you know there's a big 12-inch gap, right? 
between your head and your heart. Like I, I, could, I could probably at this point, quote, I'm sure I could quote that verse, you know. Uh, love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I, I'm sure I could quote it. But as it was relevant and applied, I just didn't get it. Right. He ended up having to work. He said, I'm going to have to work the entire day and I'll see you tonight. <laughs> I'm like, Mike, I can't go down the stairs by myself. I could fall. Yeah, we lived in Portofino uh -huh. at the time, right across and the so street. And so I said to my son, Michael, could you just come and take care of me? Because he, he was in high school. He hadn't gone to school. This is our said, now 38-year-old son. Right. At the time he was 18, he was a senior and goes, I don't know. And I'm like, I'd really appreciate it. I may fall if I get up, try to get down the stairs. And he goes, well, the only hesitation I have, am I going to have to take you to the bathroom and wipe you? <laughs> <laughs> I said, no, you are not. That would be horrifying for both of us. He goes, oh, I mean, I get a day off school, so it was awesome. But we really learned a lot through that. And, you know, we, we got to have a conversation because Mike's, like, so awesome at talking through things. But we got to have a great conversation. And it was one of the times that we learned what does sacrificial love look like? Mm -hmm. What does it look like to be totally committed? And even when, like, I love taking care of sick people just as much as he dislikes it. Like, there's other things I hate doing that he picks up the gap in. And mm -hmm. so it is really And learning. it's not natural to me. I have to learn these things. Like, for example, if I was in medicine, I would be a surgeon, not a family practice doctor. Uh, any of you who know anything about medicine, you know what that immediately means. I'd be an ER doc or an ER surgeon. I would not be a family practice surgeon. I wouldn't be an internist. I wouldn't, it would just shoot me. I mean, I would just die there. I, it wouldn't, I wouldn't even, it wouldn't even be my lane. Having said that, I, I've had a lot of doctors in my life. <laughs> Having said that, even if you are a surgeon predisposed to surgery, you still have to have bedside manner. You still have to have the soft skills. One of the great challenges for you guys and myself in medical world is, you know, picking medical professionals who have that soft side, right? So is, these are just stuff that I had to learn. And, and really, it is learning how to be committed to each other through that. Totally. Yeah, and, and you end up getting an A later. Yeah, as such. I, it's, I still have to work on it. So yeah. I put it this way. God's model requires an, a husband to elevate his wife's interests above his own. This is where men, you will live and die right here. You have to get this from here to here. You have to see it, get it in you, get it here. Uh, I call it, I have to get an undergraduate degree, a graduate degree, and a PhD in Teresaology. You might write that down, man. You need a PhD. You know how long it takes to get a PhD? It's not just piled higher and deeper. A PhD. Like, and then when you get that one PhD, you go back to grad school, you get another PhD. And at every phase of your life... So when you have, the, when you get married, you got to, now you're just doing an undergrad because whatever, you're just a victim, right? So you just got to get your undergrad as fast as you can. But then when you have those babies, you got to get your graduate degree and you got to get your uh, PhD, right? And then, okay, then you hit what? You hit empty nest. Why is divorce rates spike at empty nest? Why is the divorce rate so high at about 40 to 50 years of age? Because the kids graduate from the home. And you have never, you have never built your life together. You haven't been on a date. You're a, you're a horrible dater because of all these bad habits. And so, and I had to learn this too. You have to never stop dating. I have to constantly study her. Women, my, Teresa is a moving target. <laughs> Marriage is cross-cultural ministry. It's like going on a missions trip to a foreign country and you think you know the language. 
I was just in El Salvador. I can kind of get by in Spanish. I'm pretty much a hack, but I can kind of get by. But then I get to El Salvador. If they don't speak any English, I quickly realize, whoa. So it's like that. You got to, again, it's, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. So these are another couple uh -huh. of questions. Oh, yeah. Here is another question. What's something you wish someone would have told you when you first got married? <laughs> Write it down. Oh, by the way, tell them. Run, baby, run. I'm teasing. No, no. <laughs> I'm not like teasing. <laughs> they don't all know. Like, like tell them, uh, like, when we met, when we oh, fell yeah. in love, when we got engaged, when we got married. Oh, that was fast. So we met February 20th. He told me he loved me on March 20th. We got engaged April 3rd. This part gave my mother a heart attack. We got married June 12th. <laughs> it was fast. And we did not have sex in those 12 weeks. Well, well part of no. the urgency. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just being real. It's, we didn't want to have sex together. I mean, you guys, if you, those of you who know me, you know I have a daughter by a woman I lived with when I was 17 and 18. So I was sexually active very early in life, but I was totally committed to Jesus now. I, I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm not going to sleep with another woman until I get married. Please find me a wife. <laughs> and, and so we were fast, man. Yeah, yeah. So, so one of the things... <laughs> We were fast, and it was so interesting. So one of the things, <laughs> one of the things that, because like we never even got in a fight before we got married. No, which we didn't is crazy. have time. It was so cool. Yeah. So one of the things that we really found out is you have to look at the family of origin. Yeah. You aren't just marrying that spouse. No. You're marrying that spouse's parents, their siblings, their children. If they already have children, you are marrying. Mike married an entire tribe. Yeah, it is. It's very tribal. Yeah. It's actually a biblical idea mm -hmm. in, the, in the scriptural world, not so much the New Testament, certainly in the Jewish context, but clearly straight up in the Old Testament context, you marry an entire family system. Uh, and, and, you know, marriages were largely prearranged for all of human history, by the way. It's only a modern phenomena that you pick out your own spice, spouse. Spice? Spouse. And, <laughs> and honestly, uh, you know, having raised kids, I, 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 think, I, I think I want to arrange marriage for them. So anyway. But we tried. So, so family of origins issues. For example, uh, I, didn't, I had no idea. I knew that Teresa's father had uh, committed suicide. He had taken his life about eight months or nine months before we met. But I had no idea of the complexities of suicide in a family system. It took me years to figure this out. I had no idea why the whole family tweaked at certain times of the year. Holidays, birthdays. I, I just, I, it was like I was running into a wall and breaking my nose all the time. And it's because I wasn't loving my wife. I was on my own mission. I wasn't elevating her needs above myself. I'm just like, Girl, get in tow. What is up? Get a grip. Take a pill. Whatever. I mean, that's how I grew up. Yeah, and for me, I think the family of origin piece I didn't understand that I was marrying into was... <laughs> yeah, this is well, good. <laughs> <laughs> we were both college students, so, and I was, I was raised in L.A., and we were all kind of hippish. When I was a teenager, we all smoked weed together with my parents, my aunt and uncle, and we were just like a little too free, okay? But we were like free and just those kind of people. And Mike looked on the outside. The book <laughs> looked like a hippie. So I'm thinking he's one of us, right? <laughs> like he's one of us. He's like easygoing. So... 
Um, so we get married, and we're both working, and we're both going to college full time. And all of us, and I'm, but then he wants me to do all of his laundry and do all of his cooking and all, keep the house uh -huh. spotless and all this stuff. So I'm like doing it. And so he came, we, he gets off school one day and work, and I'm already home. I've got the house spotless. I've cleaned the floor. I have dinner ready, and I'm feeling like really seriously good about myself. And, and, and okay, he, when he'd get home, he'd sit down. I had to serve him because that's how his family was. In my family, my dad did all the cooking and the grocery shopping. Very different. But he was cute, and I'm like, whatever, okay, you know, I can do this. So although I did do some horrible things as the years went on. But um, so anyway, he, I was so proud of myself, and I, I get me, he gets up, and he looks at the kitchen floor, and he goes, what did you clean this floor with? <laughs> I thought he was kidding. So I start laughing, and he, I, he goes, this isn't a joke. What did you clean the floor with? <laughs> And so I'm still trying not to laugh, and I go, mopping flow? And he goes, you are going to ruin that floor. We're renting a trashy apartment. And he goes, you're going to ruin the floor. Get on your hands and knees with a scrub brush to clean the floor. I was horrible. And I'm like, I was scared. I'm like, what did I do and who did I marry? <laughs> and so we had a lot of learning to do. And like, it didn't, like, that did not last long. He did marry kind of a strong-willed girl. Yeah, like if you're going to get we married, through. you want to study the family. Uh -huh. You want to know the culture, the roles, the rule, the mores. The, you're marrying a tribe. And if you don't know this, you're going to crash right through a marriage. Like you, you'll very predictably crash right through a marriage. And one of you will become just an extreme doormat, and the other one will become an mm -hmm. ogre. And, and so you just have to, this is what, this is why in a first century context, I am a classic example of a first century male. Is this that I grew up in the 20th century? So that's why he says, in the same way as Jesus, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. That's the deal. That's what, that's what it's all about. And, and uh, husbands, you will inspire respect from your wife if you treat them with unconditional love. Obviously, I grew up uh, as a, uh, what's the guy's name? I mean, I, I always remember Archie Bunker, but who's a modern version of Archie Bunker? Um, uh, Al Bundy. Uh, I don't know if you can relate with those characters, but I, I, this is just the way I grew up. I had no idea of these verses and application. But when you love your wife, when you lay your life down for her, it will inspire her to totally uh, respect you and be willing to submit to you and being willing to lay down her life for you. That's why he says, however, each of you must also love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. Now, I, I need to teach you a little bit of something. In the language, okay, in the language, the, literally in the Greek language, the wife must respect is a, is a result of love. In other words, as the, Paul is saying, as the husband loves his wife, her natural response will be respect. But if you don't love, and we'll talk more about this in a little bit, it starts this crazy cycle. We're, we're not going to go into there yet. But so Yeah. yeah. So... So wives are called to submit to their husbands, but not in the way that our culture tells us to. The way the culture, if they hear the word submission, what do they think? They think it's going to be 
top-down. They think kind of the 50s, where the wife just stayed home in a cute little dress and cleaned the house all day. They think of it like that, but that is not what, cult, that is not what the Bible describes it as. The way the Bible describes it is in Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord. And notice the, the, the submission in verse 21 is to all y'all. Men, women, it doesn't matter. Like, in fact, we, amongst us as a church, we are called to submit to one another. And then he goes into kind of modif uh, uh, yeah, like modifying like an adjectival phrase in the submission love, okay? But they're really peers. They're really uh, like co-equals, if you will. Mm -hmm. That's very much the way Teresa and I live our lives. Yeah. yeah, it is. It's really equal like with love and submission. They go hand in hand. But someone has to be the lead and someone has to follow, right? Because that's how it works. And you know what, though? If, if, a, if, a, if the husband is to, uh, if, if it's like, Christ and the church is the husband and wife. Think of how Jesus leads the church. He didn't have a crown of power. He had a crown of thorns. And that's how he led, in that kind of humility. And so... And I naturally thought, even as a Christ... And I have heard this passage taught so poorly in my early years of following Jesus... I've heard professors teach on this subject. I've heard main people that I could name names, and if you're over 45, you would know these names, that completely ruined this passage. And, and th that's a very apt metaphor that she just said. I, in my early days, tended to interpret this passage, especially in the headship of Christ, like it was a, a crown of authority. But in this passage... It is straight up the crown of thorns. It's not the crown of authority. It's the crown of suffering. What does Jesus do? He suffers. He lays his life down for her. And then the, the church responds, or in our case, husbands and wives no, respond. And it's true. When Mike began to lay his life down for me, it totally shifted our whole marriage. And I think that he's the one that took the first step of laying his life down for me. I think we would be divorced now. We probably would. Yeah. Because I was not brought up, you know, I was brought up too strong-willed. And <laughs> strong-willed's not a bad thing unless it comes out of your mouth, sarcasm. And just, we, weren't, we never yelled at each other because that's not who we are. We did it through other kind of digs. And so I was like a digger. And so <laughs> when he began to lay his life down as we grew and grew more in the Lord... It really helped to make a shift in me to, to well, give and, him space. And she is naturally more, I don't know what to say, it, except for she's naturally more godly, I guess I would say, than me or something. It's like she's more, <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's just a side to her that is just straight up like more spiritually in tune, more submissive in, in, that, in that way. I mean, she's a strong leader, obviously, but it's just, it's just the way it is with her. So, so Ephesians says this, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. But you can kind of see how we're looking at it, the way that Christ is leading the church. So next. Yeah, and, and, and here's another whole thing, yeah. right? God's design for marriage actually honors the value of both people. So he honors it both. And so this came into another question that someone had. How to keep communication and ongoing. If we're valuing both and we're honoring both, we need to have an ongoing communication. Otherwise, 
it's really difficult. You have to be honest with each other and you have to have that open. One of the best ways I think is through this, it's called pursuer distancer. So it's a nice little picture. I think that's, uh -huh. Uh -huh. like here's a good little picture I want you to look at. Okay, in almost every marriage, there's a pursuer and a distancer. I can, I can both take both roles, but I am definitely more the pursuer. And it's, oh, can we talk? I need to talk. You have this burning thing going on. The distancer thinks, she's attacking me again. Shields up. <laughs> i got to get away. Help. And she doesn't really care. She's not giving me my space. By the way, how many of you have ever heard the, the term helicopter parent? Okay, this is the helicopter parent. Yeah. The pursuer, you know, left to their own devices becomes the helicopter parent. Yeah. Uh, this is, by the way, this is what she's teaching you. She learned in her graduate program. She has a master's degree in clinical counseling. Uh, uh, this works in job relationships like bosses and employees, uh, parenting, obviously, roommates, husbands and wives, dating, whatever. Right. I did this way too much having two sons, let me just say. Okay. So that, that's one thing that starts happening as we go on. And I okay. want to look at the next one. So then this is how the pursuer is feeling when they can't have the conversation. Rejected, abandoned, the person doesn't really care about me. Mm -hmm. And the walls go up, and then the distancers, as you can see, run, Forrest, run! <laughs> I'm just dressed to listen, got to get out of here. Mike would go, I've got to go surfing. Because I had not <laughs> learned to give Mike space. I wasn't giving him the space to lead our family. So that's one thing, wives, we have to give them the space to lead. If we become too much uh, micromanaging like I was, then it doesn't give them the space mm -hmm. to really lead in the grace. Yeah, so here's three, three methods things. of resolving it when that's happening. Later is better. And that first one is... By the way, this yeah. isn't anywhere. You might want to take your phone out and t I should have yeah. said that earlier. Sorry. Take a picture of these things. Yeah, this first one works really well. Later is better. And we did this in a number of different ways. But sometimes it's too intense and we can't talk. And so what we started doing, and we learned this one in counseling, is that on Wednesday evenings from 7 to 8, 8 o'clock, somewhere in there, um, it started with 7 to 8.30, and then we could extend if we wanted. That was the space and time where we could have conversations about things. We set a time. You know what it gave me? A place to hold it. Even if something was going on Thursday, I knew I could hold it. And there was a place where we could have a nice, honest conversation if we couldn't talk about it. Pray and not delay. And that is, if it's heated, let's pray. Give the Lord. Don't be attacking each other. This way you can pray and begin to see what the problem is. You have to identify what the problem is if you want to resolve it. So pray and don't delay and then talk about it. Or ring a dinging. Call for help. Call a good friend call a counselor, call a mentor couple, but get some help yeah. to help you in your marriage. Now, I'm going to show you a, a promo for a, a resource that's available to you on Right Now Media. If you don't know how to do that, we pay for it as the church, so you can get this resource for free. You go out to the blue tent afterwards if you don't know how to do this. I'm going to show you a, a, a promo thing for uh, the crazy uh, cycle, the uh, uh, crazy cycle. Watch this. Have you ever had a conflict with your spouse and you saw their spirit deflate? I like to ask the question, what is the issue when the issue isn't the issue? What happens when a wife feels unloved? She reacts in ways that feel disrespectful to her husband. What happens when a husband feels disrespected? 
he reacts in ways that feel unloving to her. And I called it the crazy cycle. If I'm feeling hurt, I just spit it all out there. My natural reaction is to attack back. Marriage was just hard right from the beginning. Conflict for us was continual. That doesn't mean that every time we got together there was a fight. Sometimes you wouldn't know there's a problem. So we found ourselves constantly arguing. We weren't out to understand the other one's perspective. We were just out to be heard. I was coming to a point of being very tired of constant fights. And I used the word divorce. It kind of shook me up to say, you know what, for me to use that word means something is terribly long between me and her. Do you get on that crazy cycle? It's the lack of love, it's the lack of respect, it's that sense of hostility, it's a sense of contempt that keeps you spinning and causes the relationship eventually to fail. This series is gonna answer the question, what is that issue when the issue isn't the issue? It's good. Now there are four parts to it. They're like 15 minutes each. So you could uh, go home and watch the first one tonight. You could do it as a life group. Uh, you know, this resource is absolutely free to you guys. So you can just go there. And Egrich is amazing. He wrote the book, uh, uh, you know, Love, Love and respect. respect, right? So it's very, very famous guy, very amazing guy. And, and this, wives can what? Oh, wives can more easily follow husbands who are servant leaders like Jesus. And that's as we give them the space and love and acceptance. They can have the space to make some mistakes and have grace with them and have grace towards each other. I think grace is probably the biggest word, grace and patience and love, and know that we're all trying to figure it out. Yeah, but which stick. ties into this last question. Mm, this was the big one. How do I forgive when my spouse has broken trust or hurt me? Yeah. What do we do with that? Yeah, and and uh, it's, it's just very, very interesting. The the idea of forgiveness is probably one of the most powerful concepts that we've had to learn in application. I mean, it's easy to say it. We learned, how many of you memorized the Lord's Prayer growing up, right? So, you know, we're super familiar with the Word. <laughs> it's the living it out that's the hard part. It's, it's the living it out. It's where it's, and it, it, the word literally, by the word, in the, by the way, in the, in the Greek language, there, the, the Greek word for forgive is charizomai. Charis is the root idea of forgiveness. Charis means grace. So when you forgive, it's like giving, it's like letting her go. It's like letting go the offense. It's like letting go my right to whatever, all my little rights. I got rights like on billboards behind me. So it's like letting go of all my expectations and letting go of all my rights and laying down my life for her. But remember when Jesus, when we hear that, remember Jesus, did, what, did it, what does it mean in Ephesians when it says Jesus, love your wife like Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her. What does that mean? What's the whole idea? The whole idea is what does Jesus do? He first incarnates himself. Okay? He comes from heaven to the earth. He takes on the form of a man, a servant. So we, what does it mean? I must incarnate myself and I must learn. I must get the PhD, right? I must immerse. And remember, Jesus had to grow in wisdom and stature and knowledge as he grew up. This is just like you do it as men. You, you have to learn. You have to incarnate yourself into being a servant leader. And then what does he do? He then disciples, right? He teaches eventually grows up and then he teaches and he pours his life into them and then then what does he do then he's scourged then he has the uh, you know he's nailed to the cross for our sins 
then he dies, then he raises from the dead. All of that, men, is what Paul's talking about. In a weird way, if you think about it, just for a moment. Yes, it's hard to die, but it's a moment. If you have a, how many of you have a child? You know how it is. When you had that child, you'd die the next second for that child. In a weird way, it's, it's easier to die than it is to live for that child. Or in marriage, to live for my spouse. And that's the key idea. Let's do this. I want us to stand together tonight. Teresa's going to pray for us for a little bit, and then I'll pray for us. And, and after we're done, if you need more prayer, go over to the cross. There'll be prayer teams over there, and, and just pray for a bit. If you're single, thinking of getting married, the deep waters of marriage, go get some more prayer. But whatever your need is tonight, please take advantage of it. So, honey, lead us. You know, one thing I want us to pray for is those who are divorced or widowed, and you have some unforgiveness left in your heart and that you want to be set free of that and I think that I want to start in prayer for those okay so Lord I do give those people over to you God for each person here Father who has gone through divorce who has a breakup or who even has become a widower widower and that there if there is any unforgiveness there, I pray God that you will show that to them that they may release that to you, Holy Spirit. That, Jesus, your blood will drop upon that place in their heart that is left hard or wounded or hurting or sad, that you will set them free yes, and bring Lord. absolute freedom yes, and wholeness Jesus. to their mind and their body and their soul, Jesus. Yes, Lord, and we... We pray, God, for everyone in the room that's either thinking of marriage or getting married or is married, God, that your hand, your blessing would be upon all of the relationships in this room, God. We thank you for your power and your grace in our lives and how that can change everything, Lord. Your hope can break in and change everything. I had to learn so much and am still learning, still striving, still running this race that's marked out for me. So, Lord, so give us strength. Help us to have amazing marriages. I pray, God, that it will simply be the case that people around us in our workplaces or in our uh, neighborhoods or wherever we are, God, that, that people around us would be drawn to you as a result of what we have in you. Lord, we know, we've learned it. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. And once we keep working on that idea and experience that by your grace, being filled with your spirit, Lord, everything changes. It doesn't matter what the phase of life is, Lord. So help us if we're, you know, dreaming of a marriage one day. Help us to be patient. Help us to have a high bar. Help us to want a, a godly spouse. And, and if we're married, Lord, help us to, you know, continue to, for the guys to lay down their lives for their wives and for the wives to be respectful to their husbands, Lord, that we could be a community known for its love and respect, and it all ties back to our relationship with you, God. So bless us, use us beyond our wildest dreams. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. amen.
Now, God bless you guys. If you need more prayer, please go over to the cross. The prayer teams will be over there, and they'll pray for you, all right? Otherwise, God bless you, and, and uh, see you next weekend.